We're, uh, we're just um, helping level things up for all the parents here because um, our kids are setting the bar <laughs> so you can all feel completely good. Been talking about, about faith and told you. So what's faith? And, and I've talked a fair bit already about the fact that the Bible, the Bible talks about faith. We read about faith in the word as being a, a substance, you know, something that you should be able to get hold of, something you should be able to feel, something that's actually tangible. And of course, you all know that you can't go and buy a bucket of faith. They don't have a bucket of faith at Big W or... Or better quality faith at a more boutique store. It's, it's something that those that have lived and understand faith will tell you it is something that you can feel. It's something that you, it's almost tangible. It's almost like you can pick it up. But it's obviously not something that you can go and buy or purchase. And it's not even something that you can essentially pick up. And give to somebody else. Although your faith actually has the capacity to grow and build somebody else's faith. So the Bible tells us that faith is a substance. It's actually more than an idea. It's more than a a way of living. It's actually a substance. It's trusting God. It is the confidence that comes from knowing that God is in control and is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Isn't that incredible? That, that, that it's about knowing that our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. In other words, what God wants to do in your life and the faith that he's wanting you to exercise is, is, not, is only limited by what you can ask or think. So it's like we, we set our own bar. We set our own limitations. We are the ones that actually put that. And our faith is only limited by, by our own minds and our own thinking. Now, that sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Like, okay, that's no worries. I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll just up, my, up the bar, I'll up my thinking. But if you start to get into the New Testament, you will find that pretty much the New Testament from the Gospels on is all about the way that we think. Paul shows us really clearly that the battle, the main battle that you have, he says, you know, you don't fight against flesh and blood. He says the battle's here in the spirit realm, but the real battle, being prepared to take on the battle, actually goes on in here. It goes on in the way that we think. The Old Testament talks about the heart, and it talked about getting your heart right with God, you know, coming to him through sacrifice and, and, and the atonement and all those things that went on to get your heart in the right place. But then Jesus died on the cross and he was the ultimate sacrifice. He took that on. So there was no need to do those things anymore. It is done. It is finished. The battle actually had moved from out there to here. And unfortunately, there's encouragement and family and we're doing that well this morning can 
put us in an atmosphere where we do that well, but ultimately it is up to us to deal with what goes on up here. Faith is being at rest in the love and the ability of God. The psalmist tells us to rest in the Lord and not to fret. Worry, fear, anxiety, fretting are indications that perhaps we need to to work on that faith element of our life. Trust. You know that trust is a natural state. A child trusts until that trust is broken and they find out that it doesn't work anymore. So as people, we're created with this inherent state of of trusting. But isn't it difficult when someone proves to us that they cannot be trusted. Once that trust has been destroyed, it is very, very difficult for that trust to be rebuilt. Relationships are built on trust. Relationships are destroyed when one proves that one cannot be trusted. You know, our relationship with God is built on trust and faith in Him. And, and you will find that He will not let you down. And Sometimes we've actually got to move ourselves around and think, well, I am actually not bringing my experience in human relationships and my walk in life and, 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 and framing my relationship with God like that. You've actually got to come to him knowing that he can be trusted, he will be trusted, and it actually is, it is separate from your journey with people that have let you down. You see, he will be trusted and can always be trusted and won't let you down. Jesus was on the top of a mountain with his three closest friends, perhaps his most trusted disciples. And and those of you who know the, the story a little bit, they're up there and they have this amazing experience on the mountain. It's sort of this whole supernatural thing where, where they see you know, people from the past, uh, that they, see a, they see Elijah and, and it's just this incredible experience that it's a bit hard to explain. Anyway, they come out of this sort of supernatural spiritual experience and they get back down to the bottom of the mountain and there's this huge fuss going on. Because the remaining disciples who had been given authority, mind you, to heal the sick cast out demons and hit a roadblock. And it says this in, in Matthew seven fourteen and 20. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. It's interesting, isn't it, that crowds often gather at the foot of or around obstacles. Crowds will gather around an obstacle. Crowds will gather around a roadblock. Crowds will gather around a car accident. Crowds will gather around something that has gone on. And when you get to that point, you will notice that there is a crowd around it, but there's only a handful of people that are actually doing something about getting through the roadblock. Crowds always gather around an obstacle. So here's Jesus and his disciples had been up of the mountain There's this huge mountain there and it's almost like mountain faith where you go up and you have this amazing experience. But at the foot of the mountain, there's a huge fuss 
There's a poor boy that, that had been, a, the Bible tells us, afflicted by a demon. I'll read about that in a sec. Or, or other versions said that he had epilepsy. Whatever it was, it meant that his quality of life was really, really bad. And it was a huge obstacle. It was Peter and James and John that went up the mountain. It's, it's faith that ascends the mountain and overcomes the obstacle. Jesus, incidentally, took Peter, James and John up the mountain. They're the same three guys that he took into the room when he was going to raise a girl from the dead. I don't think he was discriminating, but think of what he was doing was choosing to take those that were going to stand in a faith zone and a faith posture with him. And I think when you're in a tough place, when you've got to get through something, there are all sorts of people and voices in your world. I want to encourage you to choose those with a faith posture that will stand with you through those seasons. It's not that you're pushing somebody else away, but you know that there are times that you need the voice of faith in your world this season. And let's choose those voices when we go through those things. The text goes on. A man came and he knelt before Jesus and he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And Jesus responds pretty strongly here. He says, you faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you? So he shows his frustration. He's, he's always about empowering others. See, Jesus didn't actually give his disciples authority so he could come back and be the hero in the situation. He gave his disciples authority so that they could take who he was and multiply it among people. And then he says, okay, bring the boy to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon He rebuked the demon in the boy. From that moment, the boy was well. Afterwards, the disciples asked Jesus privately, why couldn't we cast that demon out? In verse 20, he says, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. If you had the faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will be possible. Nothing would be impossible. Now, I I think that is perhaps... The most encouraging and discouraging verse in the Bible. See, when we talk about that, you think, well, okay, I'll just go and test my faith out. So I'll just walk out into the car park here. And what is in front of me but Mount Wellington. And, and I'll just see if I can, I can put Mount Wellington over in Storm Bay. All you need is a little faith. And then you think, that's great, I can muster up a little faith, but that mountain's not moving. Haven't I even got faith the size of a mustard seed? What sort of faith have I got? I think it's important to have a look at at what was going on here. So we've, we've got a boy and his father, and essentially they're victims in this scenario. And we have a demon who's the oppressor or the presence of evil. 
the evidence of living in a broken world with influence of evil. And then there... So the way Jesus responds, he shows us that there is no point blaming the boy, the father, or even the demon. He doesn't blame the boy, the father, or even the demon. He actually just approaches the boy and gets rid of the demon. But I'm talking to a lot of people here who have been on the Christian walk for a while. The responsibility is with the disciples. Yeah. You see, us as 21st century Christians, us as Pentecostals, can often be very good at blaming the demon. But Jesus doesn't blame the demon. He just acknowledges that the demon is a presence, but he addresses not the demon after it's finished. He addresses his disciples. It's easy to blame people, circumstances and stuff when things are not going our way, isn't it? Guess what? There will always be people, circumstances and stuff. And the fact that Jesus didn't even blame the demon. You can imagine though, our natural way of thinking is when the disciples can't get that thing out, because we're told a little bit later that, that it, it did actually require a greater level of spiritual authority to deal with that. But, but often our response is, ooh, gee, that demon's a real shocker. You wouldn't want to have one of those. Ooh, gee, I don't know what you'd do if you got one of those. Whew. Gee. Oh, I have to do a, I have to listen to some tapes and find out how you deal with that sort of demon. Or a podcast. But you know what? I said tapes for a reason. Because the real teaching about demons is on cassette tapes. I guarantee it. You can check all the podcasts you like, but you will get the good stuff on the cassette tapes. I'm being facetious. But I think it's important to look at this in context. He's speaking to his disciples. What, what constituted being a disciple? A person who would deny himself, take up his cross and follow Jesus. He's actually speaking to those who have denied themselves and they're not looking for things for themselves. And, and then he says, well, you know, great faith can move mountains. And he's talking not to people who are wanting to put on a show or even test their faith out. He's talking to people who have chosen to deny themselves and not be about themselves. So if we want great faith, if we want faith that can move mountains, I think, I think faith that moves mountains, number one, is developed with kingdom eyes. Or, or if you want to write the point down, to develop faith that can move mountains, number one, Look at the mountain with kingdom eyes. 
Look at the mountain with kingdom eyes. Now, how do we get kingdom eyes? Well, we read and read through the Gospels and we start to get an understanding of the kingdom of God. And we look at the obstacle or the mountain with kingdom eyes. And, um, and the Bible commentator, Bruce, actually gives a little bit of context here. He suggests that when Jesus was talking about the mountain, he, he, he actually, in effect, is talking and calling faith an uprooter of mountains. And it was a phrase that was current in that time. And, and it referred to a very distinguished la, um, rabbi who was distinguished, distinguished by legal law, L-O-R-E, um, which means a person of vast experience. So he, he was talking about you know, somebody that was seen as big in that world and, and they would often refer to them as an uprooter of mountains. And he said, you know what, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will surpass those people who are big in the law. So I don't think Jesus was suggesting that we go around picking up mountains and randomly dropping them into the ocean. See, when I look at Mount Wellington with my trying to muster up my mustard seed eyes, I, I think to myself, well, you know, I could just test that out and see if I can get that thing and, and, and drop it over there. But when I look at it with kingdom eyes, I see an amazing backdrop to our city. I think about all the different light that I see on that mountain at different times. I think how lucky we are to have something like that right in our backyard. As a cyclist, I, I think how lucky we are to have something that you can ride up that's comparable with rides in Europe. You know, God is good. But my point is, there would be no kingdom purpose whatsoever in picking up Mount Wellington and putting it out in Storm Bay. Now, I mean, this sounds ridiculous, but sometimes this is how we think when we think, oh, my faith's not working. As a disciple, I need to be looking and praying and believing beyond my own needs and desires. I think my kingdom eyes need to see, to see obstacles to people coming to faith in our city. My kingdom eyes need to see a lot of rubbish and evil and hopelessness. My kingdom eyes shouldn't even be looking to blame people. My kingdom eyes shouldn't be overwhelmed by the, the size or the position of the mountain. My kingdom eyes should, should see the demon, but neither fear or accept its power. My kingdom eyes need to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith and my faith. Back to Hebrews, where we've been. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Now, Merle told me that as she's been dealing with some things in her life, with, with some health challenges and so forth, that she's been reading and reading Hebrews till she looks like Hebrews. So when you see Merle later on, just say, Hey, Hebrew. 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 She's, uh, she's not one of our New Zealand brothers. Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what? He endured so that you will succeed. He took on shame so that you can be without shame. If you want faith that can move a mountain, yes, let's look with kingdom eyes. Where do we look? We look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's where the substance is. All right, to develop faith that can move mountains. I think number two, here we go. Here's one for you disciples. Look inside your heart. Look inside your heart. Adam Clark, the, the Methodist theologian, writes... When the ministers of the gospel find their endeavours with respect to some places or persons ineffectual, do you go around speaking like this? They should come by private prayer to Christ, humble themselves before him and beg to be informed as to whether some evil in, them, in themselves may have been the cause of the unfruitfulness of their labours. See, when we find ourselves stuck or ineffective, we need to check the condition of our heart. Psalm 139, 23, 24 says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out. Woo! We're very good at saying, Oh, Lord, just fill my heart. You know, know know what's going on, what I'm feeling. But to actually come before God and say, search my heart. And and, and, and actually, I would like you to tell me what's going on. It's actually the safest way you can go to the full length mirror. Where you can actually go and stand before God knowing that he is for you. He wants you to succeed. And what he's going to tell you, it might hurt a bit, but it is actually for you. And if we do that regularly, you know what? In the privacy of our own relationship with God, I think you'll find less and less other people need to come to you and tell you those things. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything that offends you and lead me in the path of everlasting life. A bitter or cold or jaded heart is a faith dampener, isn't it? A bitter, cold, jaded heart is a faith dampener. And I I look at a group of people here this morning and a lot of you have been on the walk for a while. You, like me, have had plenty of opportunities to end up with a bitter jaded or cold heart and we're all on different levels of that journey but you know what I think be encouraged the, faith, the fact that you are here this morning the fact that, that we've got so many people as part of this church journey that, are, that have been around that have been through ups and downs that have been through their, their, their personal struggles that have been through struggles that we've been on together tells me that, that, that you actually understand what it is to sort your heart out before God Let's keep doing it. Let's keep doing it. If we want to be people of faith, 
We've actually got to look inside ourselves and be confident and brave enough to go to God and say, hey, show me what's going on in here. Faith words and a faith posture don't flow out of a jaded heart. They flow out of a heart that is open before God. Proverbs 4.23. And I speak about this a lot and perhaps the older I get, the more I see it as important. Uh, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows out of it. I think when we're observing the, the power and the work of the enemy and obstacles to the work of, of, of God in our lives, let's, let's not just do it by observation because, you know, in that observation, I think unbelief begins to take root. When, when all we do is observe, I think, I think unbelief often takes root. When we're so amazed at the, at the power of evil or the size and the position of the obstacle that can, we can easily forget the incredible power of God, which is so much greater. We're about to go on a... Well, we are. We're on a faith journey as a church. You know, God's been incredibly good. But you know what? There are going to be some obstacles... And, and, and as I think about, you know, where, where, where do you, Lord, where do you, where do you want, where do you want us? Where do you want our main center, you know, in this city? Where, where's it got to be? Is it here in Bell Reef? Well, that would be easy because it doesn't push anybody too much. But, you know, maybe, maybe as we are a church with a, with a heart for a city, maybe it's in a little bit different position. And I'm not talking out of this with actually any, any, any understanding or, or, or knowing of, yeah, I want to be there. I, I re- we really are on a faith journey of God showing us where it's going to work best. But what I think is important is that we are on a faith journey and we look at these things with kingdom eyes. And as we come against obstacles, that we stand together and we don't look at the size of the obstacle, but we understand the size of our God and we understand that he will lead us through those things and we will get to the other side. And he's wanting us to break through in this city like never before. You know, that's the sort of faith that, that we need in this city. Our power is in our total reliance on Jesus. And... In, in the New King James Version, and not all the versions actually have verse 21, it says, however, this kind does not go out except through prayer and fasting. You see, our power is on and in our total reliance on Jesus and not ourselves. Prayer and fasting demonstrate a willingness to identify with a person who's doing it tough. And I know there'll be people here before you. You've gone. You've gone into prayer and fasting for what somebody else is going through. Who's done that? You see, that's, that's a willingness to identify with somebody else that's doing it tough. And, and, and a willingness to say, you know what, I'm going to go in to battle in the spirit for what somebody else is dealing with. Maybe, maybe their faith is in a different place to mine. You know what? I've got the faith to go into prayer and fasting and move this thing. It demonstrates a greater appreciation on the strength and the spiritual world. 
to actually live even beyond the dimension that we live in. To say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm actually going to rely on God and I'm going to push through and I'm actually going to get... My kingdom eyes are going to start to see more. I'm going to start to understand what's going on here. I'm going to start to see that my battle is not with flesh and blood. In other words, it's not with people. It's not with, with frustrations in my world that come through attitudes and things like that in people. It's actually through something that's much bigger. I'm actually going to start to deal with it at that level. I think when we get into prayer and fasting like that, we start to understand that at a greater level. It gives us a greater desire to fight and sacrifice for the sake of deliverance. And, and that word deliverance, I've talked about here before, it is, is a much larger word than just some crazy demon coming out of somebody. The children of Israel came out of Egypt. They were set free, but their deliverance took 40 years. It's a journey. And, and any of us who want to be disciples of Jesus are on a journey of deliverance. In other words, being set free from those things that would hold us. And, and a lot of that is our thinking. It's understanding. It's our hurts. It's, our, it's the way that we've been broken, that we've got to continually deal with. All right, number three, to develop faith that can move mountains, I think you've, you've got to look to the object of your faith. Number three, look to the object of your faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you know, that faith actually has a lot more to do with the kind of faith it is than how much there is. And I think that's why Jesus was saying, faith the size of a mustard seed. He, he didn't say, you know, you, you need faith the size of a, of a truck. You, you need faith the size of a mountain. He said, you need faith the size of a mustard seed. And, and a mustard seed is, is a very small seed. Apparently, you, you know, you almost need a microscope to see a mustard seed. Very small. So he's actually saying, you know what? What I'm talking about is not beyond anybody. It's not beyond anybody who would be a kingdom person and a disciple who would follow me. It's not about you somehow needing to muster it up. It is actually about the kind of faith you have. And a minuscule amount of faith, as small as that, can accomplish great things. If that small amount of faith placed in God... a great and powerful and almighty God can achieve great things. How does it work? Well, I think what matters most is what our faith is in and what the object of our faith is, even than the size of our faith. You see, sometimes I think we get all off track with this because we, we want to develop lots of faith and we, we talk more about the faith than the object of our faith. So it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got to get more faith. And, and, and I pray by faith. And I pray by faith. And, and I speak these words by faith. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's a description of what you're doing, but it's not the point of what you're doing. The point of what you're doing is you're praying by faith in the name of Jesus. So when you, when you pray for healing, faith is your posture, Faith is the substance you're carrying. The power is in the name of Jesus. And we've got to look to the object of our faith. And I've, I've used this one a hundred times, but it explains it really clearly. 
When I drive across the Tasman Bridge to get to church this morning, I do it by autopilot. I hardly even think about it. But we all know that that bridge went down once and a couple of people didn't make it across. So every time you drive onto that bridge, I'm not mustering up some amazing amount of faith to get across the river. The bridge is the object of my faith. My, my faith is actually in the, in the bridge that has stood there together since, you know, 1976 or whenever it was got going again. Knowing that it's there, knowing engineers, knowing that people maintain it and all those things. Knowing they put red lights on to, to keep the cars off when the boats come through. All that is the object of my faith, meaning that I can drive across it. You see, if you want your faith to build, Jesus must be the object of your faith. So when you're going through a tough time, when you're dealing with a health crisis, when you're dealing with a relationship that's in a difficult place, when things are struggling in your family, when things are hard financially, when you're believing for Jesus to break through in this city, you know, it's the, the faith is developed through him being the object of our faith. We're praying in the name of Jesus. We're seeing what he can do in that. And in that, that faith, the size of a mustard seed, accomplishes amazing things. If the, the team want to join me, please, we'll finish shortly. What matters most is what our faith is in, the object of our faith. And Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I'll just take you back there again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and this is referring to all the heroes of the faith that had just been talked about in the previous chapter, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance, the race set before us. Looking. See, the first bit is what we're being asked to do. Then how do we do it? Well, we do it by looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. Anyone that's a, that's a runner is taught to keep your vision ahead. You are much more concerned about what's in front of you and the person coming up behind. As um, it's Tour de France time at the moment, and you'll see these guys in, in what they call a breakaway where they get out in front. And... The power of the breakaway is generally that, that you get a group of riders that are prepared to work together. And then sometimes it comes unstuck for them as they get close to the finish line. Because this group that was working together to keep away from the, the main bunch, the peloton, they, they had a goal, they, had, they were looking ahead, they knew where they were going. But all of a sudden, out of that group, somebody wants to win. 
So instead of looking to the finish line, you'll see it. They start looking at each other. And they start foxing and they try and work out who's going to go first, who's going to jump, who's going to go. And and no one wants to go first because that puts you in a disadvantage. And and you've got all this going on. And I've seen these races where at that moment, while they're mucking around, while they're trying to work out who's going to go, while they're looking at each other, they get swallowed up by the peloton and none of them win. And I think sometimes... As Christians and kingdom people, we actually have our eyes on each other. We're looking around at this one and that one and this thing and that thing and that deal and that, that thing. And our eyes have actually disappeared off Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we start to lose our way. We start to lose focus. We start to lose intensity. We start to lose speed. And instead of running that race with endurance... We're sort of sitting on the side of the road, wondering what's going on. Let's keep our faith in Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith. I want to encourage you this morning, when Jesus said, you can have faith, you can move mountains, and all you need is that mustard seed-sized faith. It was not to make you feel like you somehow don't measure up. That was to show you that you can grab hold of that and you can look at that obstacle with kingdom eyes and you can start to pray with a kingdom perspective around that obstacle and you will see it move. Let's continue to look inside our own hearts. Let's be brave enough and bold enough to ask God what's going on in there. And let's start to deal with it at that level. You will be amazed at how your, how your faith builds. And let's make sure that our eyes are on Jesus, the author and the perfecter. In other words, the finisher of our faith. Let's stand.